series on freedom. And um, this week, as I was praying and reading the Word of God, on Wednesday, in my just uh, regular daily reading, I came across 2 Peter chapter 2. And when I read that, it's one of those things where you, you have something that you want to preach about and speak about, but then you read this passage and everything like in your mind formulates together and everything comes together because that passage you just read is crystal clear, is exactly what, you know, what I wanted to say. So it's, it's a whole chapter, but I kind of broke it into three. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 4, and then we're going to kind of uh, read around uh, 15 verses. I'm not apologizing for reading the Word of God. You know, uh, I've, I've, I love when, when, you know, sometimes when we preachers read like chapter 2 and just read um, on the pulpit. But so I'm not apologizing, but uh, it's going to be a, a big passage here. So it's Second Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 4. This is the word of God. For God did not spare even the angels when they sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy caves and darkness until the judgment day. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and his family of seven. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. Then God destroyed the whole world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into heaps of ashes and swept them off the face of the earth. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But at the same time, God rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a good man who was sick of all the immorality and wickedness around him. I'm going to jump to verse 10. He, God, is especially hard on those who follow their own evil, lustful desires, and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at the glorious ones without so much as trembling. But the angels, even though they are far greater in power and strength than these false teachers, never speak out disrespectfully against the glorious ones. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, who are born to be caught and killed. They laugh at the terrifying powers they, do, they, they know so little about, and they will be destroyed along with them. <clears throat> their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They revel in deceitfulness while they feast with you. They commit adultery with their eyes and their lust is never satisfied. They make a game of luring unstable people into sin. They train themselves to be greedy. They are doomed and cursed. I'm going to jump to verse 18. They brag about them, themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with lustful desire as their bait. They lure back into sin those who have just escaped from such wicked living. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. 
And when people escape from the wicked ways of the world by learning about the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up with sin and become its slave again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the right way to live than to know it and then reject the holy commandments that were given to them. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we dive into the word of God, we pray that the Holy Spirit, the teacher, teach us all things. We pray, Lord, that everything that's spoken be clear. And we pray, Lord, that we receive it with faith and that our hearts may be transformed, our lives may be transformed, that we may be more and more like you, Jesus, living our lives for you in freedom. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A preschool <clears throat> Sunday teacher was teaching her three- and four-year-old this topic of freedom. It's a difficult topic for, for three- and four-year-olds to understand, but she got her preaching on and she started teaching the little ones. You know, God made us, when God created us, he created us to be free. But sin entered the world. And when we started sinning, when we, you know, hit our brothers and sisters, when my mommies are not looking, when we become angry and mad, when we do all these things, these are sin. And what sin does is it, enslaves us. It makes us uh, become masters of it. We, f we follow the sin instead of being free. But God gave a solution for us to be free. That was God sent his only son, Jesus. And if you repent of your sin and believe in him, you will become free. One little boy from the back of the class came walking to the teacher and put his hand on his hips, and he said, I'm not three, I'm four. <laughs> you know, freedom, <clears throat> freedom is a topic that, that we believe is core message to the gospel. Because when we talk about salvation, it always talks about freedom. So today, this morning, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about freedom. And Second Peter 2, it's, it's some heavy stuff. Um, I, when I was reading this <clears throat> over and over about a dozen times, you know, some, something in my heart said, you know, this, this is a, it's a heavy passage. It's not a, <clears throat> a light passage, a very encouraging passage, but, but it's the truth. And we know that truth will set us free. So if, if you take it with an attitude of, Lord, teach me. Teach me what you need to teach me through your word. That's exactly what the Lord wants to do this morning, to set us free. Today's sermon, <clears throat> it's divided into two main points. The first point is, false teaching always leads to death and destruction. False teaching always enslaves second point is to be free, 
you must overcome the world and sin. These are the two points that we're going to talk about. So first point, let's look at the first point. False teaching always leads to death, destruction. It always enslaves. Second Peter chapter 2, it talks about false teachers and their false teaching. False teaching always leads to the life opposite of holy life. It leads people deeper into the lifestyle of sin. It gives them permission, you may say even, permission for people to commit sin. And that is what false teaching does. James chapter 1 Verse 15 says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when in it's full grown, gives birth to death. As I said, false teaching always kind of allows these desires in our minds, in our hearts, to kind of give birth into sin. And then sin, when it keeps growing, the Bible says it will bring death. Sometimes physical death, but definitely spiritual death. In our main passage in 2 Peter chapter 2, it gives us an example how sin brings death and destruction. It talks about Noah and the flood. And the Bible says that of all the people, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that lived in the time of Noah, the Bible says that they were wicked. They were wicked. And only eight people, Noah and his family, were the only righteous people. Sin brought about destruction of that known world. Not only that, Passage after that talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. That city was vaporized. Why? Because sin was so rampant. And who was the only righteous? Lot and his family. Sin brings death. Sin brings destruction. That's how it is. I want us to know something about God. We hear that God is loving and he is very gracious, which is true. But did you know that there is an expiration of God's grace? God's grace will expire. Second Peter chapter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting everyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There is an end to God's patience. There's an end to God's grace. Now, you might say, what do you mean? When is this? When the trumpet sounds. When Jesus comes again, that's it. There is no more chance. There is no more grace. Another instance, when God calls you home, there is no more chance. When your life on earth is done, that is the expiration of God's grace. You know, many times we, we have a wrong notion of God's grace. Uh, sometimes we take grace cheaply. 
We, we think that because grace is freely given to us and it's abundantly given to us, we think that God's grace is indefinite. It's indefinite. But there is an end. Passages like today puts us back into correct view of God's patience and God's grace. If we look at verse 10 through the end, it lists the things that these wicked people were doing. Now, if you look at it, these are not real heinous sins, real wicked and awful sins. Just regular sins. I don't, we, we can't call regular or awful sins because sin is sin in God's eyes. But if you look at this, these people that God destroyed, okay, because they were wicked, Verse 10 says they were proud and arrogant. Verse 12 says they were laughing and scoffing at God. Verse 13 says that they revel in deceitfulness, which is lying. They were just lying. Verse 14 says adultery in their eyes and their minds. They didn't even act it out. They were thinking it in their hearts. They were committing adultery. Verse 14 says they were greedy. They're focused on money. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us have committed these sins? Probably all of us at one point. So these are not just, Bible's not just taking these false teachers and say, okay, only if you are false teachers. It's just saying, if you are living this kind of life, you know, if you really think about it, all of us are teachers because we all, we all influence people. We teach people. Maybe not officially, but we all do. Our children, our friends sometimes. We counsel them and we teach them. Our spouses. I mean, we, 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 we are teachers. And at one point, when we teach something that's false and when we live our lives in false, Practicing false. We are the false teachers that the Bible is saying. You know, recently, the Lord's been kind of teaching me this one thing over and over again. And it's this. The Lord's teaching me that he's very interested in the way I live my life. the way I conduct, the way I give testimony of Jesus through my hands and my feet. You know, as a Christian, as a, as a husband, father, as a pastor, you know, I want to influence people in a good way. But whenever I am in the Lord's presence praying about that, the Lord always brings me back. Moses, it's not how well you teach or well how you preach. It is how well you live your life. It's when your faith meets the road. That's what I want to see. And God says, I want your life to be transparent for people, all people to see. And see 
that my spirit is in your heart, producing all these wonderful fruit. And every morning, the Lord says, today, what kind of testimony are you going to emit from you? So what's the problem with false teachers? They say good things. They say things that the people want to hear. In verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 2, it says this, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Why is our lives and our testimony so important? Why is it? It's because it shows what's truly in our hearts. It truly shows who or what is controlling your heart. What is the proof of our faith? What is the proof of your faith? What's the proof that you're truly, truly saved? What's the proof that you are on your way to heaven? What's the proof that the Holy Spirit is living in your heart? It is the fruit that you produce. Jesus actually gives us this way that we can tell apart a person who's true, a person who's false. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 17 says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. That's how you know. That's how you know whether this person's true or false. Our second point, to be free, you must overcome the world and sin. Our main passage here in 2 Peter chapter 2, these false teachers were promising people freedom. However, it says that they themselves were not free. Now, what does it mean that they were not free? Part of verse 16 says this. It says, they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. And in verse 20, it talks about the wicked ways of the world, meaning they were following the wicked ways of the world. Now, we know what sin and corruption is, but sometimes we get confused by what's the world? What's, what's, why is the world wicked? Is there something inherently evil and bad about the world? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Believe it or not, there are more people in this world who are enslaved to sin who belong to Satan, 
then those people who belong to righteousness, holiness, and Jesus Christ and God. There are more people, a lot more people belonging to Satan. There are a lot more people under the control of Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the blind minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of God, Christ, who is in the image of God. The current world system is controlled by Satan. But he's on a borrowed time. It's not forever. Just right now. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, I know whenever I read this, I think, well, God, God, I thought you were sovereign. I thought you had everything under your control. Why is this the case? Why did you allow Satan to have this much power? Why not get rid of Satan and all the evil in this world? Now, I cannot answer this question fully, but there is an answer to this. One thing I know is that if God decides to get rid, rid, of, rid, evil, rid of evil in this world, then he also has to get rid of people in this world. Why? Because we are evil because we are wicked remember how God got rid of the world in Noah's time that's exactly what is going to happen yes the righteous will be saved but what what happens to all those thousands and hundreds of thousands of people all gone as God's taking out the wicked evil in this world he has to take out people but you know what the Bible says? This is God's grace. This is God's grace. We read this, 2 Peter, again, 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is God's grace. Us sitting here, having breath in our lungs, it's a sign of God's grace. God's delaying Jesus to come back again because when he does, it's the end. The judgment will be upon this world. But God's delaying. Why? Because he wants people to come to know him. He wants people to repent and turn towards him. That's God's grace. God is being patient. He is waiting and waiting and waiting. And he wants more people to join him in heaven. So when the Bible says the word world or the term world, it means that things are under the control of Satan. And when the Bible says that we need to overcome the world, what is this definition of the world? 1 John chapter 2, verses 14, gives us an excellent 
definition of what this world is. It says this, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of, of what he has and what he does. It says that those three things comes from the fa- not, does not come from the Father, but comes from the world. So these three things are what that defines the world. The cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. Now, I'm not going to talk in detail about these things as this is a whole sermon itself. But that's what we need to overcome. And in fact, if you look at 2 Peter chapter 2, our main verse, all these three things, it talks about all these three things in different ways. That these people who are wicked, right, the false teachers, are practicing, we're practicing and living this kind of lifestyle. And the scripture is saying, you must overcome this to be free. Now in the scriptures, it also says this. It actually talks about overcoming the world, which brings freedom. And it talks about salvation as synonymous. Meaning, Person who overcomes the world, they're saved. Person who does not overcome the world or overcomes sin, they are not saved. These two things are synonymous. And I'll show you through the scripture that overcoming is necessary. Overcoming the world, overcoming sin is necessary. Revelations chapter 2 verse 7, it says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. When we die and when we enter the paradise, the heaven, one of the first things that we will get to eat is the tree of life. And when we take that fruit and eat it, it gives us eternal life. In heaven. And this fruit is given to those who overcome. Those who overcome, overcome the world, overcome sin. Second passage, Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What is the second death? At the end of the world, when God does his great white throne judgment, he resurrects everyone. He resurrects in flesh the righteous and the unrighteous. And what does God do? He divides them, the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tare. He divides them. And he, everyone goes through God's judgment. Judgment in a way like a court setting. And that's when God says that he will judge according to what we have done. Remember I said, how do we know that we are a true Christian? What is a proof of our faith? Of what we do. 
right? We can say, Jesus, I love you. I have faith in you. I follow you. But if your life is contrary to the Bible, you will not pass that judgment. So what happens during that judgment? God will bring those who are righteous into glory. And the unrighteous, the wicked, second death. Again, they will die and go to hell forever and ever. That's second death. And it's saying here, for those who overcome, they will not be hurt at all by the second death. They will not taste the second death. For we will be brought to heaven. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. The book of life is a book that records all the people who are saved, all the people who are going to heaven. Jesus says, those who overcome, they will be dressed in white. They their name will be written in the book of life. They will enter the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What will happen to a person who overcomes the world? It says that he will inherit. Inherit what? In the beginning parts of chapter 21 of Revelation, God ushers in what? The new heavens and new earth. And God says, to those who overcome, you will inherit the new heaven and new earth. That's the final resting place of all Christians. So I know some of you might be thinking this. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that if I don't overcome this world or sin, I cannot enter heaven? The answer is clear. No, you cannot enter heaven. Even the end of 2 Peter chapter 2, our main verse, verses 20 to 22 alludes to this. It says this. And when people escape from the wicked ways of the world by learning about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up with sin and become its slave again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the right way to live than to know it and then reject the holy commandments that were given to them. They make these proverbs come true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a washed pig returns to the mud. You know, I think the most pitiful people of all are people who think they are saved, but they're not. Think, think about this for a moment. People out in the world, they do whatever they want. They enjoy everything. But so-called people who are in the church, 
they refrain themselves from, you know, the living the life that however they want to live. But then, they're pitiful because they think that salvation is guaranteed, to, guaranteed when it's not. You know, if you look at this verse, it talks about people who've been free. But then something happened in their life and they kind of went back to becoming enslaved by the world and sin. And then the word says, man, it would be better if they have never known what was right. Because these people are the most pitiful people because they themselves think, oh, you know what? I'm good. I've known God. I've known Jesus. I'm saved. Everything's good to go. But in true, they're not. They're slaved again. They haven't overcome the world. They haven't overcome sin. Let me tell you today how you can be free. If you've never been free, this is a message for you. But those who've been free, maybe you find yourself, wait, there's some stuff in my life that I don't think I'm, I'm truly free. I truly don't think I have overcome. Let me share with you from the word how you can overcome. The first is you have to want to be free. You know, God will not force freedom on you when you don't want it. You must really want to be free. You know, I know thing about sin. It's very addictive. It gives us pleasure for that moment. And secretly, somewhere deep in our heart, we kind of don't want it to want us to be free. We kind of enjoy it. But the first step is this. You truly need and want to be free. It starts from there. You must really want to be free. Second Peter 2.19 says this, For you are a slave to whatever controls you. You are a slave to whatever controls you. You must acknowledge that there is something in your life that is controlling you. Someone, something. And you must want that not to control you. But the other hand, you want to have let or let God control you. Romans chapter 6, 18 says this. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, the Lord has now set you free from the awful power of sin. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. Whoa, slave of Christ? Wait, wait a second. What's it talking about? When God created man, when God created us, he created us as worshipers. We must worship something or someone. When there was no sin, it was easy. Because 
The choice is very clear. God and God alone. But now there's sin. Now there's all these junk that's fighting to be your masters. And guess what? We worship them. We follow them. We become their slaves, and they become our masters. See, that's how we're made. We are made to worship. So this is what it says. If you don't want these other stuff to be your master, then you must want something to be your master. And that should be Jesus Christ. Should be God. And that's where it starts right there. Do you really want to be free? There are a lot of people who stop there and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You said free. Now I'm going to be slave to Jesus? Forget it. You're not really preaching freedom, but let me tell you. When Jesus becomes your master, he is gentle, he is humble. He is the only one in the world that will free you from any oppression. This is what the word says. Luke chapter 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus is saying this. Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery the sight for the blind and to release what? Who? The oppressed. That's who Jesus is. So when we consider Jesus as our master, he does not oppress us. But you know what? Everything else will. We have to let God be the leader and the guide, the master. Because if we don't, if we don't, just like 2 Peter chapter 2 says, we're going to let money, lust, greed, darkness become our master. Because we are worshipers. And we are going to be enslaved by it. Second, to be free, you must repent. What repentance is this? It's aborting the old master. It's firing the old, I don't know if you can fire a master, but you can. You can kick him out. You can abort him. You can say, no longer do I have relationship with you. And that's what repentance does. It's kicking him out. Matthew chapter 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the, will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you could put, put anything instead of money, okay? You cannot serve both God and blank. You cannot serve two masters. So what? You got to kick the first master out. You must not secretly love that master. No, you must hate it with a passion. 
you must wage war against that idol with everything you got. And repentance will allow you to do that. So when you repent, you kick out. Now after you repent, what do you have to do? You got to put a new master, right? First John 5, 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only who, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Once you kick the old master out, you got to invite the new master. Jesus is the only way. Jesus has never sinned. He is pure and holy, but he took the sins of the world and was nailed upon the cross as if he was sin, as if he's the worst. But you know what? Sin could not hold him down. Death could not put him down. He busted the grave, right? And that's where the victory comes. We are talking about overcoming and freedom, and that's where it's coming. Jesus is not defeated. No. By the power of God, Jesus was resurrected. And he proclaimed, sin, you have no power over me. Death, you cannot put me down in the grave. Satan, forget you. You have, you have no power and authority. And this is what God says. And this is a wonderful thing. And the power that raised Jesus, the authority that's given to Jesus, Jesus gives it to those who believe in him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 to 58, it says this, the sting, of, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us that power, that authority, that would give us victory through our Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Look at verse 57. God gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the choice is clear. Once you kick out that master, you got to put someone in that place. And that's Jesus. And so please don't say that it's, it's impossible to overcome sin. Please don't say it's impossible to overcome the world. If you keep telling yourself that it is impossible, that it's impossible, and you keep repeating that lie over and over, that lie will somehow you receive that lie as truth. That's a lie. That's a lie. The truth is this. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
As the worship team comes up, as the ushers prepare for offering, my beloved brothers and sisters, overcoming sin is not an option as a Christian. Overcoming the world is not an option as a Christian. It's an oxymoron. If you are a Christian, you have overcome. If you are a Christian, you are free. That's who you are. And this happens when you say, when you recognize, you know what? I don't want this life anymore. I'm enslaved by this. I don't want it. There's some secret sin in, in my heart that I don't want to deal with. But you know what? I don't want it now. It's done me no good. It's only given me oppression and enslavement and bondage. I don't want it. After you come to the realization of that, you need to humble yourself and say, Lord, I repent of my sin. And Lord, I kick this sin out. I kick this master out. And I invite you, Jesus, into my heart. Some of you might have tried for a long time to overcome. Now, I'm not here to give you doubt about your faith, but I know this. I know that everyone needs to have a continual personal relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus is not just a man from Bible story. He is a real person that you speak to, that you spend time with, that you build relationship with, that you obey every moment. He is real. And he has to be real. He's not this abstract person that we go like, oh yeah, I know him. I know he exists. He needs to be right here. Be your master. You live for him. You obey him. Whatever he says he wants you to do, you do it. Person who walks with him, talks with him. A person who obeys Jesus is the true believer. A person who has overcome the world. As the ushers are coming to collect the offering, I know some of you are struggling because at one point in my life, I was struggling. Why is this sin so hard to, to kick the habit of? Why is it so hard for me to overcome? And I know you are tired and exhausted. As the ushers are collecting um, offering. Hear what the Lord has, wants to say to you. When Jesus died on the cross, he promised that it will be him who will 
defeat the sin. Not you. Him. It means this. It means this. That when you fill your life with the presence of Jesus, more and more of Jesus, when God's presence in your life becomes bigger and bigger, guess what? When that light of the world enters your heart and He becomes big, overwhelms your life, you know what will flee? Darkness. You know, we got it all wrong. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, I got to do it. I got to, I got to kick this habit. I got to, I got to be able to defeat sin once and for all. Well, there is your responsibility. But don't ever think that it's you alone. No. We have to rely on God's power. That is the only way to defeat sin as you fill your life with more of the presence of God. Because as He increases, everything in your life will decrease. Sin will decrease. Yourself will decrease. My brothers and sisters, when my relationship with Jesus is not strong, when I don't spend time communing with Him, when I'm not continually holding upon Him and abiding in Him, you know what? It becomes easy for me to fall into temptation and sin. It's easy. Sinning is easy. We don't have to do anything and we'll just fall to sin. We don't have to do anything and we'll just gradually depart from the Lord. Running to God is hard. Living a righteous life and holy life is hard. But that's what we need to do. We need to cling onto Him. We need to fall deep in love with Him. Yes, yes, that's the key. We need to fall deeper and deeper in love with Him. Because when you do that, all these other things becomes a background. You know, there are times when I was battling with sin and I was getting exhausted. But when I found this, you know what? My, I, I'm, I'm putting the focus on the wrong thing. I'm putting the focus on sin. Let me take that sight off of it and let me look upon Him and just focus my life with Him. And as I am doing this and building my relationship and my love toward Him, all these become peripheral. All of a sudden, I find myself, oh, I don't know when, but this is no longer part of my life. And then I praise God. Wow, Lord, you're good. You're so good. As I was focusing my, my sight upon you, you are the perfecter of my faith. And look, my faith is strong. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the sin. No longer is this sin my, my master. And thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. This time I'm going to pray and I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to minister in your heart as our worship team leads us into worship. But I want us to respond. I guess there's two responses that, that the Lord is calling out to you to act in faith is that if you are somewhere deep in your heart, you know that you're not free, you haven't overcome, you know. Right? Only God and you know. Come before the Lord and say, Lord, I lay it all down. This, this, this master is not doing me anything. I mean, it's giving me this joy here and there, but it's fleeing. I want something that's lasting. I want something that's forever. And I know it comes from you. I don't want this anymore, and I want you. I want you, and I want more of you. And for those of us who've never experienced what it means to be free, what it means to overcome sin, please come. We have prayer partners who will minister to you and pray. And for those saints who are sitting here, we all need to fall deeper and deeper with the Lord. Amen? I mean, that's, that's, that's what we need to do. And I ask, if you've been a little lukewarm, a little apathetic, come and be recharged. Say, Lord, I'm making a step of faith. And I want to be reconnected to you. I want to abide in you. I want to cling on to you. Lord, I want to fall deep in love with you. In your presence, daily, every minute, every moment. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that is given to us through our Savior, Lord, and Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it's given to us. Lord, truth has been spoken, and truth will set us free. But Lord, help us to take it and put it in our hearts. Lord, help us to take it and live it, to apply it, to act it out. Lord, because what good is it, Lord, if faith just remains as nothing? Lord, let this faith well up in our hearts and move us into action. Holy Spirit, would you come and invade our hearts this time? Lord, may you increase and may we decrease. May our love, love for you, Lord, may it just found out from the hearts, Lord, just overwhelm us, oh Lord, with your love and your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.